Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. Comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 1-11. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you are pagans, somehow or other, you are influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each of the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes to them, them to each one, just as he determines. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated. Thanks, Hope. Well, if you've been around for a bit, you've heard my sometimes standard opening, which goes a little something like, I hope that you had a good week this week. Uh, But I know that many of us have had a quite challenging week. Uh, If you've been in Tulsa, some of you work in healthcare, uh, some of you, uh, some of the folks in our church work in law enforcement, but all of us just being in, in Tulsa, we've had a hard week. I don't know if you're here and you are among friends, or maybe you're here and uh, you don't really know anybody. Your blood pressure is a little bit elevated with that being true. Uh, I don't know if you believe the things that we believe, or maybe you vehemently and totally disagree with us. I just want to say that I don't think that anybody is here by mistake. I think the Holy Spirit has been at work drawing us in toward each other and drawing us especially toward the Lord Jesus. So I want to say to each and every one of you, in the name of Jesus, you are welcome and you are wanted, and I'm glad that you're here. So I, I was appreciating this week in a fresh way just how important it is to have compassion on other people because it is very difficult to be a human being. <laughs> it's always hard. I had a friend said to me recently that he and his wife say to each other, I know today is going to be hard. I just don't know what kind of hard it's going to be. Does anybody else feel like that sometimes? Uh, it's, it's difficult to be a person. There are so many things that have gone on in, in recent years that have made that you know, especially uh, pronounced. Uh, this week, I was, I was thinking about how just the last three years, what we've been through as a people. Uh, I remember the first news about COVID in, in late 2019, about 150 years ago, and <laughs> it was like, oh, I wonder how this is going to affect our lives. And and all that we've been through with the pandemic, the way that that's affected our relationships, maybe your relationship with church, uh, the way that that has affected your finances, uh, COVID has been a really big deal. It's it's had a a toll on us psychologically and and, and emotionally. 
Uh, you think about um, the significant conversations that have happened, the revelations that have happened in the last couple of years about our deep need for racial justice uh, in every corner of our country. Uh, this week, and, and listen to me carefully, this week uh, many of you know the, the deep pain that our city has experienced. And uh, I was actually in the doctor's office uh, where everything happened with my eight-year-old uh, Wednesday. Uh, he was getting a cast, he broke his wrist, and about 45 minutes later, everything went down. And that night after I got my children in bed, I sat at the kitchen table and I just wept, thinking about how, how close I was. And, and many of you uh, know people who are directly involved uh, with what happened, and, and we grieve that evil happened in our city. Just last night, there was an incident, a similar incident in the city of Chicago, and we know this is something like there have been more than 200 events like this in our, in our country in, just in this year. You know, you know what happens immediately following an event like this. You know the script that's going to be played on a national level. We have these conversations, and the two warring political tribes present the same talking points they did last time, and they have raised the same objections that they did last time. And I don't know about you, but for me, it leads to a kind of hopelessness about a political solution, even though I think it's right for us to engage the process. I've got the same phone numbers you have of, of our elected representatives in my phone, and I think it's appropriate to make calls from time to time. Time, but a kind of hopelessness can set in. You think about other things going on in the world, you know, walking into any number of big box stores right now, you walk in and you see some major displays that, that demonstrate the confusion in our world about things like gender and relationships. And those of us who are raising kids right now kind of wonder what kind of world are our children inheriting right now and going to inherit? Have I depressed you yet? <laughs> A very on-the-ground problem that many of us have been, have been wrestling with is inflation. Uh, we're wondering, where did my paycheck go? Gas is way up. Groceries are way up. Life feels really expensive in all categories. Uh, in, in the church, in so many recent years, we've seen scandal after scandal of folks like me who wear microphones, who make a series of destructive choices, and so it's, it's easy to be discouraged about uh, the state of the church. And then in addition to all of those big things going on in our world, we have the everyday challenges of managing our own mental health and physical health and tending to our relationships and finding and keeping and managing jobs and trying to find a sense of meaning and peace and to experience a world such that when people ask how we're doing, we have answers other than tired or busy. And then you add on top of all of that, that deep implicit hunger that human beings have to know God and, and to make sense of the ultimate questions of what it means to be a person. And you think, yeah, it's appropriate for us to have compassion on other people because it's just really difficult to be a human being. And in a world like ours where we're faced with some of these challenges that feel insurmountable and they're in our face daily, the, the, the physical, mental, emotional, social, political, financial, spiritual challenges that we face on the road to being well and to living in the kingdom of God, we have to recognize that on our own we don't have the internal power we need to face these challenges. We don't have the insight we need, the wisdom that we need. We don't have it in us on our own to be well, to be wise, to flourish in the kingdom of God by our own efforts alone. We can recognize all of us who are weary and exhausted that we need an internal power source that is adequate to the task of being a human being. 
And in every generation, though perhaps in ours it feels pronounced, it felt pronounced in every generation, every generation thinks it's difficult to be a person. Every generation of people have needed a power source adequate to the task of being a human. We have to recognize the need for something or someone to assist us with the wisdom we lack, the insight we lack, the hope we lack, the, inner, the, the faith that we lack so that we can stay on our toes and not give into fear or into fatalism and walk into the future with faith and confidence that God is going to see this to a good, good end. And so today is what we call Pentecost Sunday in the life of the church, and today we're going to be talking about the person of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm curious, how many of you would say you grew up in a church where, where you heard the phrase gifts of the Spirit on a somewhat regular basis? slightly more than I thought. Okay, I imagine that many people, this is something that is unfamiliar or uncomfortable for, for lots of us. We're going to journey this through this uh, together. So go back to the story of Jesus. You remember uh, Easter Sunday. Uh, Jesus is raised from the dead. He spends 40 days with his disciples. He appeared to many, many people, uh, giving proof of his resurrection. And then he went to the Mount of Olives on the day that we now know as Ascension, and he ascended before the disciples, which is not just a fancy elevator ride up. It's about Jesus taking his position of, of rightful authority at the right hand of the Father. Jesus was assuming the throne. We talked about this in Revelation 4 and Revelation, especially Revelation 5 is really cool. As Jesus was ascending and before the cloud hid him from the disciples' sight, he gave some instructions. Among them, we have the Great Commission in Matthew 28, but he gave them very specific instructions in the book of Acts chapter 1 about what they're meant to do after he ascends. Acts 1.8, lots of you will have this memorized. Jesus said, you will receive power. And the Holy Spirit comes on you so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the way to the ends of the earth. Witnesses especially that he was actually resurrected, that he is the Lord and King over all creation. You're going to receive power that enables you to serve as my witnesses. Now, they go back and they wait in an upper room. And on the day known as Pentecost, the Spirit descended, Acts 2, 1 through 4. While they were all together, a sound like a mighty rushing wind came, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and little tongues of fire came to rest on each of them, and each of them began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. If you remember stories in the Old Testament of the Spirit coming on someone like, do you remember the story of Samson when he's in that temple and he's been blinded and he says the Spirit comes on him and he pushes down the pillars? The Spirit comes on, on the hero guy. The Spirit comes on Samuel. The Spirit comes on Gideon. But now the Spirit doesn't just fall on the microphone-wearing person or the Peter, the James, John. The Spirit falls on all of the church. In a sense, it's like the Spirit has been democratized and made available to all people, young and old, rich and poor, men and women, slave and free. The Spirit falls on everybody on this day of Pentecost. It just so happens to be the case that, that Pentecost was also a Jewish festival celebrating the grain harvest and also the giving of the law. And you remember in the book of Exodus in the 20s, Moses goes up on the mountain. The people have come out of slavery in Egypt and God gives them the laws, his covenant. If you will obey these things, things will go really well for you. Moses is up on the mountain receiving the commandments in stone chiseled by the finger of God. And what is happening at the foot of the mountain is Aaron is leading an, an idolatrous worship service. They forge this golden calf saying, Behold the God who led you out of slavery in Egypt. 
And in the reading of the story, we have this very foreboding sense that Israel is going to be incapable of upholding the covenant, the terms of the covenant that God has given to them. Uh, God uh, observes that this is going to be a problem in the course of time after failure after failure. God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah and, and tells the people, this covenant is not working out where you merely try to read the, the law that's carven in stone. Something better needs to happen. And so God says to the prophet Jeremiah, the days are coming, says the Lord, and I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. So this is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law not on stone, but in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people." On that day of Pentecost, when they remembered how God had given them the law, He gave them His Spirit, the law written on their hearts. He gave them a new kind of authority so that they could stand even in the face of opposition and give witness to the resurrection and the lordship of Jesus Christ. He gave them an internal and a communal source of power demonstrated by their boldness to witness. Now, if you read in Acts, you see how Peter and James and John, others, gave witness to the resurrection and the lordship of Jesus in a way that was costly to them. They were at one time flogged, Peter and James, they, Peter and John, and then they went back to the church and they said, that was awesome. They were honored to bear the name of Christ, and when they prayed, they prayed for further boldness. They prayed that when they preached and gave witness to the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus would stretch out His hand and perform signs and wonders in His name. They had power uh, that was above them and beyond them, but now inside of them. The Spirit gave witness uh, to, to the resurrection of Jesus by, by empowering the disciples to, to witness, to stand before all of the people, but He also gave witness to the resurrection of Jesus by giving gifts to the people of God, so we can call the gifts of the Spirit. So in our, in our text today, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth is a community that's really familiar with the gifts of the Spirit, uh, we're going to talk about what those mean, like the charismatic gifts of the Spirit. They're familiar with this. It happens all the time. In fact, they're so familiar with the gifts of the Spirit that it's becoming almost problematic, that their worship services are kind of like a hen house where you got people speaking in tongues and prophesying, and it's disorderly. And, and Paul advocates for orderly worship. Things should make sense. But it's also so prevalent that there's a kind of stratification within the body of Christ that particularly those with one gift of speaking in tongues were made to feel like they're the super Christians because they got this gift. And Paul takes issue with that. And he's writing to the church at Corinth and, and, and advocating for order in their worship and trying to lay uh, some commonalities among all of those who are believers. There's no stratification in the body of Christ. Paul begins in verse 1 of chapter 12 by making a case that there's, there's, there are no super elites in the spiritual world. It says in verse 1, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. So, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. 
And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's kind of a weird passage. And I think that for all the Corinthians reading it, they would be like, well, duh. Of course, the Spirit of God is not going to make me say Jesus is cursed. And that's precisely what Paul is trying to evoke in them is this duh response. What he's clarifying is that everyone who comes to a place of saying that Jesus Christ is Lord, making a true confession of the heart, the Spirit of God is at work in the heart of that person. No one can make that kind of faith-filled confession apart from the operation of the Spirit in their life. Therefore, everyone who's been baptized into Christ Jesus and has made this confession, the Spirit of God is at work in them. Therefore, we're all on a level playing field. The Spirit is foundational to the life of all believers, not just the super-Christian. And the Holy Spirit certainly can't just be relegated to a denomination like Assemblies of God or Charismatic in general. The Spirit is foundational to the life of all believers. Uh, In verse 7, Paul continues explaining how the gifts of the Spirit work. Verse 7 says, Now to each one, not to the super-Christians or the professionals, but to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, manifestation of the Spirit. This is an interesting phrase. I remember I was in California with uh, Todd Hunter, who became my bishop. He wasn't my bishop at the time. And I remember Todd talking to us about the prayer, Come Holy Spirit. He says, when we pray, Come Holy Spirit, we're not saying that the Spirit is not currently present. Scripture tells us when two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, He's there. He's present. The Spirit is here. What we're asking is for the Spirit's presence to be made known to us. And this is the meaning of manifestation. Of course, the the Spirit is with us. In Him we live and move and have our being. But we're asking the Spirit to be made manifest in a way that's tangible. And So you've had the experience. I hope you've had the experience before. We're perhaps in a time of prayer and a time of worship. Your heart was perhaps flooded with emotions. And you just knew that God loved you. Or maybe you've had a moment where you just felt this strong directive from out of nowhere to approach a person or to pray for a person. This is a manifestation of the Spirit. Paul says, to all believers who have made the confession, Jesus is Lord, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. And it's given for one purpose. What is the purpose? The common good. It's for everybody's benefit. This comes from a third century church father named Basil or Basil the Great. He says, since no one has the capacity to receive all spiritual gifts, but the grace of the Spirit is given proportionately to the faith of each, when one is living in community with others, grace bestowed privately on each individual becomes the common possession of others. It's like this. If one of you in the church has a lake house, good news, everybody, we've all got a lake house. You get a lake house and you get a lake house. He says, when one is living in community with others, grace bestowed privately on each individual becomes the common possession of the others. One who receives any of these gifts does not possess it for his own sake, but rather for the sake of others. As Paul said, it's for the common good. Now, churches and some denominations go off course in thinking about the charismatic gifts of the Spirit when the gifts are treated as an end in themselves, like a trophy that you win in a video game. If you're really advanced, you're going to, you unlocked tongues, you unlocked prophecy. The gifts of the Spirit are not meant to be an end in themselves. The, The purpose of the gifts is for the common good. It's to edify, to encourage, to strengthen the church. 
gifts of the Spirit go off course when they're, they're thought of as a, a form or a tool for self-realization. Now, I'm a big fan as anybody of things like Myers-Briggs, Strength Finder, Enneagram. I've used all of these tools. One, one, one thing that's, that's true about these tools, they often are very inwardly focused. That if I align with the gifts that God has given me, then I'm going to re- reap the psychological benefits of internal alignment. That's often how these tools are used, and they have their place. But the gifts of the Spirit are not like that. It's not just about reaping psychological benefits by being in alignment with your design. The gifts of the Spirit, of the Spirit are given for the benefit of other people. They're given for the gifts for the good of others. Okay, some of you are like, I don't know what you mean when you say gifts of the Spirit. So we'll look at the examples Paul gives. He says, to one there's given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. Okay, so what are these all about? First of all, I don't think this list is exhaustive. Paul gives a similar list in Romans chapter 12. There are other lists listing gifts of the Spirit. I think this is giving us a sense of the breadth of the unique gifts that God gives to the church. One of those gifts is wisdom. Maybe you've known someone who is not just smart, but at key moments when there's a lot riding on it, when it was really complex they knew just the thing to say or just the thing to do. And it might have been paradoxical, might have been something that no one would have guessed that worked, that made sense. And they were operating in a spirit of wisdom and foresight, and they, they, were, they were operating beyond themselves, and it really worked. Uh, Paul lists knowledge as a gift. Um, some of you, have, I bet lots of you have had the experience where you wake up in the middle of the night, it's 3 a.m., and you just feel compelled to pray for that person. Like, I don't know why I'm supposed to. I just know that I'm supposed to pray for Steve. And you learn weeks later that Steve was hospitalized in the middle of the night or he got a call, you know, the kind of call that brings you to your knees. And you're like, when did that happen? God woke me up and told me to pray for you. I bet numerous folks in our church have had that experience. I, I'm a little uncomfortable giving examples about myself, so I'm going to give one, and this has not happened before, and it hasn't happened since. But I had an experience once where a, a woman uh, came to me, a person came to me, and they said, I've just been experiencing a lot of darkness, like a, like a spirit of darkness in my life, and I wasn't feeling overly spiritual. There were no goosebumps involved. I just had this thing pop into my head, and I asked her, have you been using tarot cards? And she said, yes. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I said, I think you need to renounce those. You need to throw them away, burn them, invite the Spirit of God to clean house, and, and just fill you with the Spirit. It's like, wow, that was, that was like a word of knowledge. Um, Paul talks about the gift of faith. I know a guy who uh, had a big burden for God to break through in his life financially. He had something he was raising money for that was deeply personal. And uh, so he just felt compelled to fast and to pray. This guy's got the gift of faith. And he had a number in his mind of what he needed, what he felt like what, what he needed for, for God to come through on. So he fasted for a week. At the end of that week, by the way, he told no one what he was doing. He told no one his goals, no one his plans. He didn't tell anyone that he was even fasting. At the end of the week, someone calls him out of the blue and gives him $10,000. He's like, wow, that's pretty cool, but God, that's not good enough. 
And he fasts for another week, and at the end of that week, someone out of the blue calls him, two people call him and says, I'm giving you $50,000, I'm giving you $100,000. Whoa! Like, I want a little bit of that gift. That's a helpful one. Is the gift of faith. Uh, God was working in his life. God had given him this gift, this confidence to ask for something that he couldn't possibly have brought together on his own. Some of you have experienced the gift of healing. We've experienced in our church people who have been unable to have children for five, six, seven years, and God has worked in their lives and caused them to have children. Now, there are also those times where the prayer isn't answered in the way that we hope for. There are times where people are operating in a gift of healing. I'd love to know what Paul meant when he just said vaguely, miraculous powers. I don't know what that's all about. I'm I'm open to it. I'm in on it. If, If someone's handing that gift out... Now, interestingly, Paul said the most desirable gift for the building up of the church is prophecy. Um, I've had good and bad experiences with uh, prophetic words. I've had bad experiences that feel a bit like uh, that scene in the Monty Python movie, The Life of Brian. Has anybody seen that? Okay, Matt and I may be the only ones. And uh, there's this guy who's uh, trying to be a prophet, and he's standing in the row of prophets in Jerusalem, and he gives these vague prophecies about And a man shall lose his keys, and he shall say unto his son, where are those keys that I thought I set down there? And, you know, sometimes people, I I was at 81st and Lewis for four years at Oral Roberts University. I had some weird experiences with prophecies that I don't think were genuine, including the the person who came and spoke at chapel and prophesied that ORU was going to win the NCAA tournament that year. And we learned quickly that was a false prophet. (laughs) But you know what? I've also had times, it happened in, in high school, where I was invited to someone's house, and, and there was this person who had the gift of prophecy, and they said some things about me that they could not have possibly known. They wrote it, you know, my friend wrote this down, the things that he said about me on a, on a piece of cardstock, and I have it, and I treasure it to this day, and I'm still, like, living into the things that were said. Paul said, like, you should, you should desire that. That builds up the church. Uh, Paul talks about, um, you know, discernment. You know, how, do you, how can you tell if something is genuinely from the Lord? Some people have like a good sniffer. Like they know, like this is not God. It's just not. This is a respectable person. This is like a trustworthy person generally, but God's not in this. They've got the gift of discernment. Paul says speaking in tongues is a good thing. He says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. He advocates for it. Uh, one, of the, one great uh, like lesson in my life is I grew up at Woodlake Assembly of God. And I remember there would be times where someone would pray in tongues aloud, and when that happened, everything stopped. Music stopped, and everyone just stands in silence, and we waited for someone to give the interpretation of tongues. It was always Wayne. It was always Wayne who did it. Wayne had the gift of interpretation of tongues to build up and to encourage the church. Now, some of you are like, well, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about that. That sounds weird. It sounds like overly mystic. I would just advise you in all things to be open to whatever God wants to give you. If God is going to give you a gift, do you think it's going to be a bad one? Now, it, it might be a little bit strange. We're talking about things that are a bit out of the ordinary, but be open to whatever gift God wants to give you. I also want to point out that Paul says there are different kinds of gifts, there are different kinds of workings, different kinds of service. He's saying God has uniquely equipped every member of the church in lots of ways. Sometimes it's through these charismatic gifts. Sometimes God has given you a different, unique skill set for the building up of the church. Talk about those guys in the Old Testament who at the time of the construction of the tabernacle, the spirit of wisdom came on them to create art for the, for the tabernacle. 
God has equipped each one of us differently, and the way that He's equipped you is meant to be for the common good. So whatever you've got, use it for the flourishing and the benefit of others. Apart from the Spirit, we are impotent. Now, there's a, a story, it's probably apocryphal, not, not necessarily true, about uh, Thomas Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas, who in the 11th century is walking through the Vatican with the Pope, and the Pope is showing off the largesse and the beauty and the gold, all this stuff, the stuff, the, 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 the worth, all this costly stuff in the Vatican, and the Pope says, wow, we can no longer say with Peter and John, silver and gold have I none. And Aquinas looks at the Pope and says, yes, but neither can we say with them in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Apart from the authority and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the church is impotent. The church suffers when the gifts are not present. Uh, Francis Chan, lots of you will have read books of his, uh, wrote a children's book about this community of farmers that uh, the way that they plow their fields is they push the tractors they all get together in a community push, and at the end of the day, they might be able to get a little bit done, but there's this one guy in the town who finds the owner's manual of the tractor, and he discovers tractors are not meant to be pushed, they're meant to be ridden. And he goes to the tractor, and he climbs on board, and he starts up the engine, and there's a power he had never experienced before, and he's able to plow more in a night than he could do in weeks before, and the people are flabbergasted. We need the work and the gifts and the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's actually better for you that I go away so that you may have the Spirit. He said, it's for your good. I want to offer you uh, five challenges from Scripture about the Spirit and about relating to the gifts of the Spirit. Now, if you're not open, you can, if you're not open to the work of the Holy Spirit, you can space out and we'll do communion in a couple of minutes, okay? But if you're open, pay attention. If you're open, be diligent. If you're open, keep your ears and your eyes and your heart open and take this stuff in conversation to the Lord and see what He does in your life. Uh, the first challenge I want to offer you from Scripture is don't quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. This is, this is a verse from 1 Thessalonians 5.19. You think, well, who can quench the Spirit? That doesn't make any sense. Like it's a fire and you can throw a bucket out on it like the little rascals. Like that's not a thing. Can't quench the Spirit. It reminds me of the story in the Gospels where Jesus goes into a town and it says he couldn't do many miracles there for their lack of faith. Well, Jesus can do whatever he wants. It says he couldn't do many miracles there for their lack of faith. The lack of faith quenched the power of healing, quenched the Spirit. Now, many of us pray, but we pray in a performative kind of way. We don't pray with any kind of faith that it actually matters. And I can understand there are disappointments when God doesn't answer us in the way that we most hope for or most desire, but we're meant to pray with faith. Sometimes when we pray without faith, we can quench the Spirit. Sometimes you may have had moments where God wanted to give you a gift and you turned it down. You may not have known that's what you were doing. Or maybe he was, he was convicting you of some sin or some wrong where you're in, the air, you're, in, you're in the wrong and you actively say, I'm going to ignore that. It quenches the spirit. Some of us are so high control, we desire to control all outcomes that we have no room for the Holy Spirit because we've got our one, three, five, and ten year plan. And I think certainly sin in our lives can quench the work of the Holy Spirit. If we're, we're willfully ignoring and violating the, the commands that God has given us, we can douse the work of the fire of the Spirit in our lives. Don't quench the Spirit. 
Now, I don't have time for it right now, uh, but uh, I, another point could have been. It uh, comes from uh, one of the epistles. I can't remember. Chapter 5 of one of the epistles. You can look that up later. It says, don't grieve the Spirit. And in the context, it's, it's don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is building others up and for their good. It says, when we compromise the unity of the church and speaking poorly and dishonoring one another, it grieves the Spirit of God. Uh, I, no, I'm not going to tell the Narnia story. Next time, next time. Put it away, John. Don't talk about Narnia anymore. Uh, the second thing I want to point out to you is that first, don't quench the Spirit. Second is uh, desire the Spirit. Uh, Paul, and we've read 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 13 is love is patient, love is kind, and he begins chapter 14 saying, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Uh, Paul says not only should we be open to these things, we should desire them. If God is handing out gifts, we should want them. It would be crazy not to. For many of us who perhaps have had bad experience or no experience with, with the, you know, the charismatic gifts of the Spirit, a place that we could start is just to ask God to give us an appetite for them. I've never, you know, I've never actually had caviar, you know. I don't know. People say it's good. You know, it's fancy to eat that. <laughs> but, like, it's, it's like maybe you've never tasted the gifts of the Spirit, like had any kind of supernatural kind of experience. You're like, well, I'll eat it if you give it to me. Uh, if you give me an appetite for it, and sure, I'll try it. Maybe we should be like that toward the Spirit. Give me an appetite for it. Give me the desire for it. A good question might be, would you take the gift if God gave it? We should desire it. Don't quench the Spirit. Desire the Spirit. The third thing I would challenge you with is to ask for the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Jesus in uh, Luke. He said, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And he tells a parable saying, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Well, that's crazy talk. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Well, of course you wouldn't do that. He says, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I mentioned uh, Bishop Todd's prayer, Come Holy Spirit. When we pray, Come Holy Spirit, we're asking the Spirit to be made manifest in our lives. When we're asking for the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, uh, we need to persist in asking. The church had been together praying for 10 days before Pentecost and the Spirit fell. We need to ask. The fourth thing is to fan into flame the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Paul to young Timothy says, For this reason I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. So there's no doubt about it. The gift of God is in you. Uh, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul laid his hands on Timothy, whether it's just praying for a young brother or at his ordination. He's saying, Spirit of God, impart your gifts into him. And, and Paul says to him, fan into flame, steward your gifts. Uh, you know, our gifts are often discerned in community. The, the unique disposition God has given you, the skill set, the, the spiritual gifting he's given you, it may be so native to you that you don't recognize that it's a good and a unique thing. And you may need to ask friends or folks in your apprentice group, hey, what do you see in me? What is it that I do? And when I do that, it feels like, like God's at work. 
And it may not be a charismatic gift, like you would recognize when someone is speaking in tongues, but you might not know, as Paul talks about in Romans 12, if someone has the gift of encouragement, they need that to be encouraged and fanned into flame. We need to identify and learn and develop our gifts to observe how God works in us. And I think we ought to fan into flame with a lot of humility and even humor. So there are times where I feel like, I think I'm supposed to say this to this person. And I will preface it with something like, this could be the burritos that I ate last night, but I feel like X, Y, Z, like I'm supposed to tell you this or, or God wants to do this in your life. Humor and humility are welcome in this, but fan into flame the gift of God. And then fifth, serve others in the Spirit. This is for the common good. Romans 12, Paul says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then do it. Prophesy in accordance with your faith. If your gift is serving, I appreciate him listing this because it's not as overtly spiritual, but some of you are able to be such great servants and you need something to be done, I'm on it. That's a, that's a spiritual gift. If that's your gift, then serve. If your gift is teaching, then teach. If your gift is encouragement, show up because we need encouragers. If your gift is giving, Paul says you should excel in the grace of giving. If your gift is to be a giver, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. The bottom line is whatever gifts God has given you, and He's given it to all of you who's been baptized into Christ Jesus, who've made that proclamation, the Spirit's in you. Whatever gift He's given you is not meant to be hoarded. It's meant to be used to build up of the people around you. And as I've said before, you have no idea just how fragile the people to your left and to your right really are. You have no idea how just how desperate they are for you to operate in your gifts. Because if one of us has the gift, we all ought to benefit from the gift. I think all of this is pronounced in its importance at this moment in our lifetimes because when the world is at its darkest, the church is meant to shine brightly. When the world is growing toward cruelty, the church should show up as a community of kindness. And when we're growing increasingly mistrustful or of other people or tribalistic, the church is meant to be a community of hospitality and forgiveness. When we're very confused about some of the basics of what it means to be a person, the church is meant to be a community with wisdom and knowledge. We're meant to operate. These gifts are given for our flourishing, even at the worst of times. And to operate in this kind of giftedness is not something that we can do on our own. Pushing the tractor is not helping us yield the fruitful life that each of us want. Jesus said in John 15, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you're going to bear a lot of fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And we have been trying out the apart from me part, many of us for most of our lifetimes at a societal, political level, we're certainly trying that to no one's benefit. But he says, if you remain in me and I in you, this fruit, this, these giftings are going to just effervesce. And I'm just dying to see what God has put in you. And our church is just dying to see how God has uniquely gifted and equipped you. And we're so longing to see you operate in your gifts for all of our good. Let's pray together. Jesus, I confess that in my relationship with the Holy Spirit, there's been a lot of learning and unlearning and learning and unlearning. 
And there have been times where I have felt like, oh, if I just, you know, pray with an intense enough face or if the music is just emotionally compelling enough, then the Spirit will have to come. And I confess, Jesus, and I confess, Holy Spirit, that you are beyond my control. The wind blows wherever it pleases. And so, Lord Jesus, we are taking you at your word. You said to ask for the things that we need, to seek for things, to knock on the door, and you said it would be open. You said that the way that you give the Holy Spirit to your children is so much better than the way that we give gifts to our children. So we're counting on that how much more to be true in our church. Please give us first the gift of faith to believe that you can act in these ways. Give us the gift of faith that you can change people's hearts. Give us the gift of faith that, that you're a good God who gives good gifts. I pray, Jesus, that you give words of wisdom and words of knowledge to our church. I pray that you give the gift of prophecy to our church. I pray that you give the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues to our church. Not to unlock a trophy, but we're just so desperate for a word from heaven. We're so desperate, Lord Jesus, to know that our labor is not in vain and our faith will one day be made sight. And so we're asking you to, to give us the Spirit. Lord, as we receive communion today, would you pour out your Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. As we eat it, may we be filled again with your Spirit, filled again with your love, and filled again with your power. Lord Jesus, examine our hearts and where there are places in which we're quenching the Spirit through our sin, through our desire for control, through our lack of openness. Pray that you till the soil of our hearts, remove the thorns, remove the rocks, turn over the soil, and may we be good soil. Plant your Spirit in us. Pray this in Christ's name, for His glory. And everybody said, Amen. We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone. If you live in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship and community in person. You can find service times and more information at our website. But wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. May He turn His face towards you and give you peace.